Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today's speaker can hardly be called a guest. Wes Nelson is an elder at Bethesda Church and has spoken several times in our pulpit. Today, Wes will look at John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31, and a message entitled, The Advocate. Wes will be looking at how the Holy Spirit is our advocate. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 14 and follow along. Last Sunday, as the last session wrapped up with Daniel Henderson, I was I had the privilege, I was praying with Merle Hines, and he looked at me and says, well, looks like we have a very smart pastor. And I said, how's that? And not that I didn't understand we have a smart pastor, but give me, he says, well, he knew enough to have somebody else follow this guy next week, so thanks, Merle, I hadn't thought about it, and I've thought about it all week. Uh, In all seriousness, thank you, Roy, for the time and the effort and the planning and the whatever that went into making that happen. Last weekend was, for me, a cold drink of water on a hot day. Uh, It was refreshing, and it was good, and uh, so glad that I was able to be a part. And then it leaves us with the great challenge going forward is what do we do with it because if it's just about last weekend well that's that's good but it's not good enough and so if it doesn't change us change who we are not only as individuals but as a church family um, it wasn't a waste of time but there's not the value in it that there should be so If you want to pray anything specifically for the pastors, for the church boards, it's that we would receive direction and guidance going forward and what changes, what tweaks need to be made in order to put these things into practice. If you turn with me to John chapter 14, and be perfectly honest, if you get nothing out of it this morning, That's all right, because I've received a ton uh, in preparation. Uh, I was telling somebody this morning, this is the third time in a week I've taught or spoke out of this passage, and it's the third time it's going to be different. Next Sunday will be the fourth time at another church, and it will be altogether different again. And it's not because every time you get up it's different, it's because there is so much packed in here, and for the different audiences... And so, I'm not sure how you separate that in my document file in the computer. Um, John 14, well, you've already used that, so. (laughs) In any case, I don't see Dan here, so I guess I wouldn't have to say this, Dan Copeland. I wouldn't have to worry about context, because he wouldn't be there to remind me. But in any case, context is the key to understanding anything, and most certainly Scripture, In the context for John chapter 14, you've got to go back to chapter 11. In chapter 11, you find the resurrection of Lazarus. 
But before that, in chapter 10, you see Jesus is kind of hiding out three days away from Jerusalem because an arrest warrant has already been sworn out for him. And the Pharisees are less concerned with arresting him than just, let's just kill him. And so they came back to Bethany when Lazarus had died. And that's when Jesus resurrects his good friend. In chapter 12, there's a big feast, a banquet held in Jesus' honor and maybe to some degree in honor of Lazarus, you know, to celebrate his resurrection. And that's where Lazarus' sister Mary takes an insanely expensive bottle of perfume, maybe a year's wages on this little bottle, and she breaks it and dumps it on his feet and, and washes his feet with that perfume. In the second half of chapter 12, you have the triumphal entry where Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the crowd goes bonkers. In chapter 12, we see the beginning of this whole discourse, really chapter 12 through the end of 18, through, well, through 17. We're in the upper room, and we get a glimpse as to what was happening there. And one of the things I've come to realize in the last couple of weeks is this was not a great time or necessarily a great memory for the disciples. This is not a high point of their lives. I think maybe to some degree we think it's the Last Supper, it's this, it's that, it's whatever. The disciples are stressed out because they're in Jerusalem and they know that the powers that be are out to get Jesus. The disciples are confused because Jesus keeps talking about going away and they're not sure where he's going. And if we don't know where he's going, how do we know where to find him? They're emotionally spent. They're pretty fragile. And as you read through these chapters, you can see just by the questions they're asking, and Jesus basically is repeating himself and repeating himself and repeating himself, and they keep coming back, well, Jesus, what about this? And at what point, early in chapter 14, Jesus is like, where have you been? On top of that, Jesus is hours away from excruciating, probably unimaginable pain. He's hours away from one of his closest friends betraying him. He's hours away from his, one of his nearest and dearest friends adamantly with cursing, denying that he's ever even met Jesus. Jesus is hours away from the humiliation and shame of being arrested and stripped naked and beaten within an inch of his life, only to be paraded through the streets, being mocked and laughed at. That is the setting for the Last Supper. That is what's going on there. But in this, 
Jesus is the one offering comfort. He's making promises to give his disciples hope for the days to come. And in verse 15, is where we'll start reading, John 14, verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And again, if you've read anything in John, this is kind of what his entire ministry hinges on. It's the first of four times in this chapter alone that it gets mentioned. You go into chapter 15, I believe it's mentioned twice more. Love and obedience cannot be separated. If you want a big word to make you feel smart, they're inexorably linked. You can look it up later. They cannot be separated. You cannot say you love someone, or you cannot say you love Jesus if you don't obey what he said. You cannot claim to be obedient if you don't truly love him. In the book of John and and most of John's writings, when you see love, just insert the word obey. It's there. You can't say you love Jesus and then do what you want. If you believe that, you're deceiving yourself. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and... I, Jesus, will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus has been saying, I'm going away, and where I'm going, you can't come. Where are you going, and what are we going to do? And then Jesus takes another deep breath and tries to explain it, and finally he's like, you know what? Here's the thing. I'm going away. But when I go I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, maybe some of your translations, I've got ESV, you know, so we we see helper. Maybe some of your translations will say comforter or counselor. And those are all apt descriptions of the work of the Holy Spirit. They all reflect his role in the life of the follower of Christ. But what Jesus is getting at here is not accurately, you know, he's not saying he's going to be your comfort, he's going to be your shoulder to cry on. That's not what Jesus is getting at. He's not saying he'll be your counselor, he'll be that person you can bounce ideas off of and help you figure things out. And even in the ESV, he'll be the helper. It's not even a good... You know, when I think helper, I think of getting one of my kids or a couple of my kids and say, you know what, I'm trying to hold this thing up here and I need both hands and a knee to do it and I need your hand to twist the nut on the bolt. That's not what Jesus is getting at. The word that is used in Greek, and I won't put you to sleep with that, but the Greek word is most accurately translated into, you know, for our understanding right here today and our set would be advocate. I'm sending you another advocate. And what Jesus was getting at, it was a a specific term, it was a specific word that, let me read this to make sure I've got it right. 
It was, kind of, it was a specific legal term used in court proceedings. I'm sending you another legal advocate. I'm sending you an attorney. How can that be? A lawyer? I'm sending you a legal representative. I'm giving you legal representation. And he goes on to further clarify. I will give you another legal advocate to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. When you go to court and you've been the victim of a crime, or when you're involved in a lawsuit and you're dragged into this, what is the most valuable thing? What is the one thing that you want to come out in the court proceedings above all else? You want the truth to be heard and believed. And so as Jesus is talking to his disciples, and as you get further on into this entire discourse, and he talks about this is what's going to be happening to you after I leave, it makes suddenly, not that we don't get benefit out of this, but after learning this, suddenly it makes so much more sense. I'm sending you a legal representative, who, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going away. I'm not leaving you on your own. It's not up to you to try to figure out what you're going to do. The advocate is going to help you. He's going to guide you. But, while you, but, you, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments, here we go again, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you will show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me nor keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Our advocate, the spirit of truth, what will he do? He will teach us all things, and he will bring to remembrance all that I have said. Now, directly, as Jesus is speaking, he's speaking to his disciples, and go back and read chapter 11, 12. Go back and read chapter 10 and get some more context there, and you just see it's over and over and over and over. Jesus is saying, you know what? This is what's going on, and over and over and over again, the disciples are sitting there, and then they're looking at each other, and they shrug their shoulders. Okay, Jesus, whatever. They aren't getting it. It's not clicking. 
And Jesus finally says, you know what? (laughs) When I go, the advocate will come. And the things I've said, you will remember. And you will understand. And going back, I don't know how many years, um, I I read a book, uh, I think it's 12 Ordinary Men by John MacArthur. And uh, as, as I was reading through, I began to realize that, yeah, these guys were just pretty ordinary, you know, just like most of us. And uh, they died. You know, I think only John went to his deathbed. The rest of them went to their execution. But I am convinced that as they drew their last breath, they were still doing something like this. That's what he was talking about. Because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Advocate, was bringing to their mind what Jesus had said. Now that's for their application, but for us, the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth, brings to mind what we have read, what we have memorized, what we have heard of God's Word. And it never ceases to amaze me that what I need for a conversation today, I've either read today or yesterday in Scripture. And what I'll need for a conversation tomorrow, I'll either read tomorrow or this morning or today. If you turn over to John chapter 16... In verse 13, and and the conversation continues, and whether they're still in the upper room or whether they're making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and I can, you know, and if they're making their way there yet, I can still, you know, I can just imagine they're walking, and Jesus stops, and he turns, okay, guys, now, remember this, remember this. And they continue to just, you know, kind of glaze over, and you'll see that in chapter 16. Jesus even says, you know what, enough, guys. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you later. You know, you're just, you're just not going to get it. But in verse 13 of chapter 16, Jesus again says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now the key phrase in this, he will guide you, he will lead you into all the truth. On Tuesday morning, I'm in the truck, I'm hauling hay, and I'm thinking through this. And in moment of humanity here, this is who I am, it's where I'm at. Thinking, God, why didn't you just say, I will open your head and pour the truth in? Why didn't you just say, you will know it? You will have it. It will be there. And that's when the 10 million watt candle watt or candle light, whatever light came on over my head. It's like, oh, I get it. Oh, this is just like Philippians 1, verses 9 and 10. So you ask, what's Philippians 1, 9 and 10? Well, let's read it. And it's part of, you know, Paul, in every one of his letters, I think in every one of his letters, at some point he offers a prayer for the people, for the church that he's writing to. 
And this is in the midst of this prayer to the Philippians. Paul says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And you say, what's that have to do with the Spirit will lead you into all truth? How do you discern? And, and another, I think NIV and maybe some others say, may your love abound all the more and more so that you may discern what is best. Um, but with all knowledge and discernment that you may prove what is excellent. How do you learn to approve what is excellent? How do you learn to discern what is best? All of a sudden, do you wake up and you know? In John 16, 13, the spirit of truth comes. When he comes, he will guide you. He will lead you into all truth. And it goes back, one of the things that Daniel Henderson said last week, I don't know how many times. But as we pray and we learn to seek God and his face, when we learn to seek the giver rather than the gift, we learn to wait for God. What's the key to being led? What's the key to being guided? What's the key to learning discernment? What's the key to being shown what is excellent? It's waiting. And at least for now, I don't know if I'll go down that road ever again, that dumb little township road that's steep and narrow, and not be reminded how I was led this week into all truth. And the picture I had was, you know, when the cat has kittens and the kids have been waiting for another barn cat to have another litter that's going to get run over, get sick anyway and die. But they're all excited And you happen to find them. And so I go to the house and say, hey, hey, I got something to show you. Well, what is it? Let me show you. Well, what's it going to be? Where are we going? What are we doing? Just, just come with me. Get your shoes on. No, you can't go out there like that. You know, and, and you take them by the hand or whatever it is. And where are we going? No, you got, I've got to lead you there. You don't know what I'm going to show you. And you lead them there, and you show them the kittens, and they all go bonkers. And they get attached enough until a week later they get eaten by another cat or whatever happens. <laughs> or maybe that's just our place. <laughs> but it's the picture that came to mind. Our advocate will lead us. And we need to wait to be led. We need to wait for his guidance. We need to wait for his discernment so that we can approve what is excellent rather than settling for what is good enough.
And as I've thought about it, and really, I think every church that I've ever been a part of, everyone, and I don't know if it's a generational thing where, you know, I just happened to be there when they were learning this the hard way. I hope that was the case. It was a one-time deal. Probably not, because very few mistakes are one-time deals. But disaster awaits the person or the people that run ahead of God. All right, God, show us what to do. Lead me, lead me. You know, forget it. I'm going to go find it. King Saul, a perfect example, and it was the final straw. It's when God wrote him off, said, this is it. There's no turning back. There's no coming back from this mistake. When he was waiting for Samuel to come offer sacrifices before going into battle, and after seven days, and I can't take it anymore, just bring the stupid lamb and let me do it. And no sooner than he gets done, who shows up? Samuel. And what have you done? We need to wait for the spirit of truth to lead us into all truth. And what may be worse than running ahead of God is when we are being led, when we are being shown what is excellent and we decide that I'm not going any further. I'm done. I'm digging in my heels. You can't drag me where you want me to go. Because it's too hard, it's too scary, it's too whatever. Or I'm too independent or too stubborn or too whatever. When I refuse to follow when God is guiding, when I refuse to discern what is best, when I refuse to open my eyes when being shown what is excellent. To love Jesus is to obey him. To love the Holy Spirit is to follow his leading. So, we can all run out of there, okay, I learned something. And then you get in the parking lot, like I've done so many times in my life, and you're all excited, and, you know, it's kind of like the big pep rally, and you turn around, and now what? How is it that we experience the work of the Holy Spirit as he leads and guides us into all truth? How do we learn to discern what is best and approve what is excellent? And these won't, if you've been here, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've heard Roy say it from here. I've heard him say it in board meetings, I know. I've heard other guys, I don't think he came up with it. I've heard others say it, or maybe y'all came up with it independently. But how is it we learn to discern? How is it that we know we are being led? How is it we put ourselves in a position to be led into all truth?
Well, there's really three ways that I see from Scripture, and maybe there's more, but I think you could probably condense them into these three. One is immerse yourself in the Word of God. And I say that first because it is the most important. It's how we interpret the next two ways. It's how we understand that the next two ways of proving what is excellent are actually from God and from his Holy Spirit. John 17, verse 17, as, as Jesus is praying for his disciples as well as his followers to come in the years and ages to come, in verse 17, Jesus says, Father, sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. Now, sanctified, to be sanctified means to be made into the image or developed into the image. And, and one of the things that I'm learning, you know, when, when we give our hearts and lives to Christ, we are declared righteous. We are placed in a position of righteousness. God views us as righteous, even though I know that I'm not. <laughs> I have a long way to go. I'm learning that sanctification is the same thing. God sees us as fully sanctified, fully like his son at the point of salvation. However, it's a position that we hold, but it's also a process that we spend our lives working through. It's a process that doesn't end until that last gasp of breath that we will breathe exits our lungs. And so we are sanctified by truth. We are made more like Christ through the word of God. And so we need to read it. We need to study it. We need to memorize it. We need to meditate on it. And these are all things we do on our own, individually. Because if you don't do it on your own as the individual the other things aren't going to happen. just doesn't. Because we also need to commit ourselves to the corporate study of God's word, which is what we're doing right now. But there's also, you know, things that we offer here at 9 o'clock, ABF, And uh, if you haven't committed to being a part of a class, I can't remember the last time we had this many different offerings, different classes, with quality individuals leading them. And I would encourage you to put yourself in under the teaching of God's word in those settings. Remember, Ted, I'm, I'm in the, going through the book of John. I wonder why we're in the book of John. But the first week, I'm kind of dragging my feet. It's like, what am I going to learn from the book of John, Ted? And I didn't say it. I'm here because I know I'm going to have to sub a couple times, and I better be on the same page. Once again, full disclosure, moment of transparency. And one verse one 
<laughs> drew me in, and I realized, ah, there's a lot for me to learn. And I've memorized John 1.1. 1, 1. And if you ask me, I can quote it. And yet the Holy Spirit leading me into all truth was tying in Genesis 1.1, and that's another message for another week. And I realized I got a lot to learn here. And it was more valuable than the extra sleep or whatever. So I encourage you to commit to that or on, on Sunday evenings, Ambassadors for Christ to help you know and understand. And then, of course, you know, you got podcasts. There's all kinds of outstanding biblical teachers who are rightly dividing the word of truth for you to put into your life and into your head and into your heart and place yourself under the authority of Scripture. Immerse yourself in the word of God. And the Holy Spirit will use that to lead you, to guide you into all truth to help you discern and approve what is excellent. And as you're doing that, you also surround yourself with godly counsel. Find, as you, if, if you're a man, find godly men. And you surround yourselves with them and learn from their wisdom and their experience and their walk with God. If you're a woman, find other ladies to surround yourself with that will encourage you with their wisdom and experience from their time and their walk with God as they've been led in all truth. In Proverbs eleven fourteen, we read where there is no guidance of people falls, but in an abundance of counselors there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. The Holy Spirit leads and guides through godly counsel and godly experience and godly wisdom. I think my kids have heard it maybe once a day. But you become like those you surround yourself with. We can't help it. None of us are immune to it. It's a fact of life. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are you hanging out with? Who is the bulk of your time spent with? And finally, not only immerse yourself in the word of God, not only surround yourself with godly counsel, but be aware of life's circumstances. Scripture is clear. We serve a sovereign God who holds the universe in his hand. Scripture is clear that the heart of the king is in his hands, and he turns it which way he wants it to go. Scripture is clear that we serve a God who actively inserts himself in history. Read the book of Jonah. 
You can do that this afternoon. Circle, underline, highlight. How many times you find the words, and God caused? And God caused. Read throughout the, all the Old Testament. Circle, highlight, underline. How many times you find the word God caused? God created, God made. And in doing so, changed the course of history. Study the history of war. And how many battles have been won or lost, depending on which side you're on, because of some freak of nature. A once in a lifetime, once in a millennia storm or weather pattern that allowed one side to take advantage or to gain back an advantage and so win the battle. World War II, the Battle of Dunkirk, the British and the French at the port of Dunkirk, nowhere to go but into the Channel of England, or the English Channel. The Germans are pressing in, and what happened? Does anybody know or remember? Fog rolls in, so thick you could hardly see your hand in front of your face. Everything grinds to a halt except one thing. Every boat that could float came from England to start bringing soldiers back across the channel. Three days, four days, five days of thick pea soup, can't see anything fog. Until all those guys were secure on the other side. The war ends that week. In all likelihood, we're all speaking German. God inserts himself in history. And we need to be recognizing of that fact, cognizant of that fact, recognizing that fact. It's not coincidence. It's not happenstance. It's the hand of God. Creator God, Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah, Adonai, Jesus Christ is in it all. Jesus is the creator and sustainer. He's not a casual observer. He's an active participant in our lives and the lives of those we see around us. Our greatest advantage, our greatest asset as a follower of Jesus Christ is his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Truth. Because apart from him, this is a bunch of words on the page that make no sense. It's trivia. It's literature. Until the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth and it becomes living and active. 
cut into the very core of who we are. So as we close this morning, I'd like to pray for us what Paul prayed for the Colossians. So if you'd stand with me. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, I ask that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you. May we be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to you who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of all the saints in light. You have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Go have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.